and some of us are already forewarned if you came Wednesday night. We are going to be doing Genesis 42 to 45. No, not verse, chapters. Yes, at least I'm, not, I'm hearing laughter and not groaning. That's a good thing. I like that. Um, before we even read the scripture or do anything, let's pray one more time together before the message. Father, I want to thank you publicly in front of my brothers and sisters for revealing yourself to me through these chapters as I've mulled on them, as I've studied them, as I've listened to other preachers and look at commentaries and continuing to read the text, you have revealed yourself. And I pray, Father, that I know it wasn't just for me, it's for your people. And I, I pray that you would enable me by your grace that to speak your word with boldness and with clarity. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring home that message from these chapters to your people, Lord, to draw us into the presence of Jesus, that we might adore him, that we might trust him more, and that might, we would have the confidence that he who began a good work in us would carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Lord, and if there happens to be anybody here who doesn't yet know you through Jesus, may you use your word to do just that, create true faith and repentance for the first time that they might join the ranks of your holy, blessed, redeemed people in Jesus. It's in his name we pray, and the one that we have our hope in. Amen. All right, so I thought I'd start off with a good, clean joke. Yeah, isn't that weird? Why did the physics teacher break up with the biology teacher? Come next Sunday to get the punchline. So let's open up to Gen... Wait, you want to actually hear the punchline? Exactly. Would it, it wouldn't make any sense, right? Like, so if I tell you the joke, and then you wait till next Sunday, and I just tell the punchline, the punchline won't make any, any, any sense unless you know the joke, right? Well, I, I'll tell you that, so, so let me just alleviate your fears here. Why did the physics teacher break up with the biology teacher? Because there was no chemistry. So that's the joke. All right, but I, I figured I didn't want to leave you hanging until next week. But reason I say that, it's funny, but it's a way that I could illustrate to you. I thought, of what, how can I illustrate why we have to hold chapters 42 all the way through chapter 45 together? And the reason we have to do that is because we don't get the punchline until 45. So all the contents of 42, 43, and 44 lead up to 45, and 45 makes sense of those other chapters. You're like, what in the world is Joseph doing here? What kind of game is he playing with his brothers? I mean, what's the point of this? So it's all one message. So I'm going to use a style of preaching that um, hopefully would make my Jewish brothers and sisters a little bit proud, because I'm going to go back to the synagogue. And that's what the early church did, by the way. When the early church would do is they'd read some, make a couple comments. Read more of the text, make a couple comments. So bear with me because this is a brand new thing for me. Because I am a Gentile, as you know, Roman Gentile. I'm, I'm used to doing things the Greek way. But we're not. We're going to try to do a little bit Hebrew this morning. So uh, be with me and stick with me. And the good news is, no matter what the style is, I'm looking at the clock to make sure this is the normal time frame of my sermon. Yeah, when, you, when we're first starting out, you're already thinking, mamma mia, but okay. But you're not, don't worry. We got this. I got this. But I will tell you this. I do want to, one other quick introductory thing. We already have a lot of stuff to cover, and that's this. 
I'm excited about the Super Bowl this year because it looks like it's going to be an exciting game. You got, huh? And the Patriots aren't in it, so we're great about that. But I know, I know a lot of us just want to go tonight, maybe have you know, nice Coca-Cola, whatever it's pizza like we talk about, just sit back, have some friendship, and watch a nice, exciting game. It's something that we all get pumped up for. Some of us wear jerseys and do all this kinds of crazy stuff, getting ready. Well, I, got, I, I promise you, this morning's message is way more important, way more exciting, and will bless you beyond the, the you know, quick uh, couple minutes of fun. It will last into eternity. If we take some time and we don't rush it and we listen to what God has to say to us this morning, because I'm convinced that he didn't give this just to me. He gave it to you through me. So as the, as the, the speaker this morning. So this is what we're going to do. Uh, before I even get into reading of the text, I want to read a quote from Derek Kidner. He's an awesome commentator. And I want you to hear this, because this will kind of tee up where we're going. Listen to what he says. At first sight, the rough handling, which now dominates the scene to the end of chapter 44, has the look of vengefulness. In other words, it looks like uh, Joseph's trying to get revenge on his brothers. Nothing could be more natural, but nothing more further from the truth. Behind the harsh pose, there was warm affection. And then he quotes from verses where... Uh, Joseph went and wept. And after the ordeal, overwhelming kindness. Even the threats were tempered with mercy. And the shocks that were administered took the form of embarrassments rather than blows. Now listen, this is awesome. Just how well judged was his policy can be seen in the growth of quite new attitudes in the brothers. Now listen, this is great. As the alternating sun and frost broke them open to God. That's what's going on here. I'm convinced of it. The more I studied it, because again, I've told you this as your pastor many, many times before. When you read a text of scripture, you have to ask yourself, what's it here for? Why is the author telling us this here, right here and right now? What's the main point? What's he, what's he driving at? What's he go, you know, if, if he's stacking up bricks, what's he building? That's an important study of just individual bricks where you get lost. Let's look at the big picture. I've come to see after pouring over these chapters that it's all about God working through his servant Joseph not only to save the world and specifically his people physically, delivering them from the devastating famine, which we're going to see in a moment, but there, these chapters are all about saving God's people spiritually, delivering them from their sins so that there would be a family of God to deliver. That's what it's all about. Because we're going to see as we begin to read chapter 42, this family was in a bad way. You know, we make jokes. I make jokes about it being the Adams family and dysfunctional. Well, the bottom line, they were a sinful family. It's not as cute. It's not as funny. And we're going to see throughout these chapters, there was one particular event that haunted them. We saw it in chapter 38 as Judah ran away from it. We don't know how the other brothers dealt with it, but we're going to see, we know what the haunting event was. They were going to kill their brother. And you remember what they did. Instead, they sold him into slavery. And each brother, the father, they're all still dealing with this thing that happened many, many years ago. But it just goes to show you, listen, brothers and sisters, your sin will find you out. And in the family of God, it's not just a matter of retribution. 
It's a matter of things aren't going to be right until we face it. Until we come clean. Until our hearts are humble and broken before a holy and a righteous God. And we cry out for mercy. And we acknowledge what we've done. No messing around. And that's exactly what all this stuff that Joseph's doing. You're like, Joseph, what game? What are you doing here? We see that Joseph, who happened to be, as we notice throughout the text, throughout the chapters before this, Joseph was a young man who knew God, didn't he? No matter what befell him, no, he wasn't perfect. He's a sinner like you and me. But you see, he had trust in God. He walked close with God. And God could trust him. Did you notice that? No matter where he was, God would lift him up and he would be entrusted with the whole shebang because he walked with God. And now as a servant of God, we're going to see he's actually working with God to bring his brothers to repentance. It's a wonderful story that I've read this millions of times, not millions, but a lot. And I never really saw this before. So let's take a look. I won't make you stand this morning. This is a rare opportunity because there's so much reading. I'll let you just sit. How's that? See that? You get a little bonus. We'll start in 42. Start in chapter 42. When Jacob, hear the word of the Lord to you this morning. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others, because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. I want to stop there a moment. This shows you already the issues in the family. Because here's the first thing. Look at Joseph's attitude, I mean, uh, Jacob's attitude to his sons. What's wrong with you knuckleheads? Right? Why staring at each other? You know, I mean, let, let's hear Jersey, you doofuses. We're about to die. How about going down to Egypt where there's grains and, and getting some grain for us so we don't die? What do you think? That's what's going on here. You're seeing the relationship isn't warm and fuzzy, is it? And if you, in case you didn't, you didn't pick that up in the text, you notice something really important. He says, but you ain't taking Benjamin. Why didn't he send Benjamin with him? He don't trust him. And because Benjamin's the only one left of his, of his favorite wife who died, Rachel. And the first one, last time he entrusted the brothers of one of those sons, they came back home with a bloody robe. And so you see there's tension you see there's still jealousy, still, there's, there's still that favoritism, and there's also great distrust. And why would, would, after, remember this is many years have passed by, so what is Jacob recognizing? Jacob did not know exactly what happened to Joseph, but there's one thing he does know about his sons, and that is their character. Even a child, the proverb says, is known by what? His actions, whether they are wrong or right. And so in other words... Jacob has in his mind suspicions about what happened that day. He has no proof, but he has suspicion. So I just want to point that out. All right, so let's read some more. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the one who sold grain to all its peoples. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Hmm, sounds familiar. 
As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, You are spies. You've come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. I got to stop there. Anybody see the richness in this? Like, this is rich. Little do they know, they're staring the brother in the eye who they sold down the river deceptively, originally wanted to kill, and they're bald-faced telling them, we're honest men. You got to love it. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. Now, I think it's also interesting. I've got to stop here, too. Why did, they, why did they mention that there were 12 of them and mention the one who is no more? I'm telling you, their conscience was haunting them. But there's also an assumption here, isn't it, that, that he's no more. <laughs> and Joseph's kind of standing. You know what Joseph's probably thinking? Uh, no. He's here. You just don't recognize him. And now some people, I want to stop right here. Some people say, now wait a minute. How could they not recognize their own brother? You realize last time they saw him, he was a teenager. Dressed and looking like a Hebrew. Speaking Hebrew. Now we find out later what was going on. Joseph's a smart guy. He was only speaking to them through an interpreter. So he was speaking Egyptian. So Egyptians, of course, they have their hair shaved. They, they look real slick. They have that nice uh, um, headdress regalia. They have all this gold on them. So, so A, they're not, he's not speaking Hebrew. Secondly, he's dressed like that. Third of all, they haven't seen him in, I don't know, 30 years. So it makes sense they didn't know who he was. Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you're spies, and this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, Do this and you will live, for I fear God. If you are honest men, then let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households. But you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified, and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. They said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, Didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and began to weep, but then turned back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack, and to give them provisions for the journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver's been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. Their hearts sank, 
And they turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? I want to stop there for a moment. You got to notice how God is working in the brothers here and why, how, why, what Joseph's actually doing here. He wants to see something. They said they're honest men, right? He's going to test that, and he wants to see if they're the same old callous, devious, murderous siblings who sold him into slavery out of sinful jealousy. That's what he wants to see. And now he's going to put them in a position to prove whether they've changed one bit or not. Because who does he single out? He singles out his younger brother, Benjamin. And he puts his finger on the, the one issue, the one thing that would totally prove whether or not they've changed. And we're going to see here, even through this, once, once uh, this begins to happen, we see God is already convicting them of their sins of selfishly getting rid of their brother. And, not, and also notice Prior to this, when they sold Joseph into slavery, notice they could care less how it impacted their father. You think they would care? They came home and said, sorry, here's his uh, beautiful coat. It's all bloody. He's dead. Oh, well. In case you didn't remember, remember when Joseph was in the pit crying and screaming out, what were they doing? Eating their lunch. Hey, pass the mustard. While the brother's screaming out, crying for deliverance. Talk about callous. And so Joseph wants to see, are, are you still the same old, same old? Unrepentant, evil people? So we see this. His basic uh, test is this. I'm going to have one stay. <laughs> we're going we're to bide him up, put him in prison. And then the rest of you can go back, and you've got to bring back um, Benjamin. And then notice, I want to uh, repeat what we read in the text here. What do they say? Surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded, for, pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Notice in the text, there's a word that's used twice. Did you see it? It says, we didn't respond to him when he's distressed, so now what? Now God has given us distress. Do you see what's on their mind, their heart right now? Retribution. What they are seeing is God is making us pay now. We're having to face the music. You know, face the music. It's time to pay the piper. It's time to come clean. Kidner puts it this way. The victim's cries when he besought us or begged mercy of us are not heard in chapter 37, but only here, ringing again in the ears that had been closed to them before. Now listen, this is powerful. A taste of retribution was awakening feelings which a brother's and father's tears had left totally untouched. In other words, you would think when you have tears of a dear father, it would break your heart and soften your heart. You would think when your brother's, please, please, save me, don't, don't do this, you would think that would pull on your heartstrings. Did it? No. So what did it take to get them to begin to recognize their sin and deal with it. The thought of punishment. And I want to tell you, when I came to know Jesus, Jesus was lovingly, gently trying to get at me, as it were. And I remember it wasn't until he had, a he had me face the facts of, I deserve the punishment of hell. It wasn't until then that I began to really consider my sins and the seriousness of them. 
And we have to understand God loves his people so much that he will not give them up, but he will lead them to repentance. I want you to see that. What Spurgeon says long, long time ago is still true today. Sin and hell are married unless repentance declares a divorce. And that's what's going on here. We see a loving God is, is not allowing the family to stay in the fallen, backslidden, horrible state that they were in. And it's interesting, Reuben says, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now we must have given, given accounting for his blood. It's interesting, we're going to see later, that he says, let us take uh, Benjamin, and, and if something happens to Benjamin, you could kill my kids. Like, you think, Jake, oh, cool, I could kill your kids. Okay, go ahead, take them. Like, like Jacob would be excited about killing his grandkids? Like, in what family is that normal? But apparently, Reuben is, is not right. He's got issues. I want you to see that. It seems to me, and we're going to read more, it seems to me that Reuben isn't so much repentant about what he, he doesn't have godly sorrow. He's sorry that he got caught. And he don't want to pay the, you know, you know the people, the people in jail, it's not like they want to change, some of them. They're just sorry they got caught. And some people will be bold enough, yeah, if I get out, I'll do it again. They're just sorry they got caught. We're going to see there's another brother who's not sorry he got caught. He's sorry that he had fallen into the sinful state that he was in. And he was genuinely star sorry for how he treated his brother, and it haunted him. We're going to talk about him in a minute. So it's interesting that phase two here, he puts his, the silver back in the sacks when he sends them back. Now, why do you think he did that? Well, we're going to see. Look at verse 27. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and they saw silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. And notice what happens. Their hearts sank as they tr turned to each other, trembling, and said, What is this that God has done to us? I want you to see something. Did you notice? God has done this. That's the actor in this past, these passages. It's God moving through his Holy Spirit. You remember what Jesus said in John, I believe it's chapter 14? What's the Spirit's job? It's to convict us of sin and coming judgment. So you have the Holy Spirit of God. Remember, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, and so is the Holy Spirit. This is the Spirit of God working in the people of God to bring them back to, to the Lord. It's awesome stuff that I saw. So God continues to work in them. And sometimes the thought of retribution is just what the doctor ordered. You know, sometimes we go to the doctor and we're hoping it's going to be like the easiest cure or the real simple, thing. just take this pill. Uh, most of the time we go, hey, is it going to hurt? You ever do that? Hey, am I going to have to have a shot? Anybody ever do that? I'm kind of like, hey, I'm going to have the needle, am I? Yeah, is this going to, you know, yeah, exactly. We went, we went just this past week. You're like, is it going to hurt when they look at my ear? You know, we're worried about that. But sometimes that's what we have to do. In order for healing to go, there's got to be a little pain, holy pain, pain that brings healing in life. Now, I want you to see something else. The brothers aren't the only ones who need to have their sin uncovered and revealed and dealt with because we're going to fast forward a little bit. See, I'm not going to necessarily read every word. But when they go back to their father, uh, Jacob, in Canaan, it's not long before we see God dealing with Jacob's sin. And we're going to see that 
in verse 35, is it? Let me see. Yes, we go fast forward to 42 to verse 35. As they were emptying their sacks, they go back home to the promised land. They're emptying their sacks. There in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, you have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more and Simeon is no more. And now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I don't bring him back to you. And trust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my head down to the grave in sorrow. Who is Jacob most concerned with? Numero uno, himself. Do you notice this? Me, 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 me. What you're going to do to me. Does he say anything about what's going to happen to Benjamin, like for Benjamin's sake? No. It's all about you're going to bring me. So that's an important thing to see. Because later on, and this is where the repentance comes in, I want you to see this. Later on, when they come back, um, and they say, you know, Joseph said we're not going to allow to come back, or they didn't say Joseph, the man said we're not allowed to come back unless we bring our youngest brother. This is when they're ready to get for the second journey. This is what they replied. The man questioned us closely about ourselves and our family. Is your father still living, he asked us. Do you have another brother? We simply answered his questions. How were we to know he would say, bring your brother down here? Then Judah said to Israel, his father, listen to this. Send the boy along with me and we will go at once so that we and you and our children may live and not die. You notice that? In other words, Jacob was putting Benjamin above all the whole family. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. Notice he doesn't say you kill my kids. He says you can hold me responsible. Big difference, isn't it? It's personal. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I will bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. And here's the interesting. Stay with me. Here's the beautiful thing. Judah's words hit their mark. Judah's words change Jacob. Because what I want you to see, Jacob realizes at this moment through Judah's speech, who by the way is now the spokesman for the family, even though he isn't the technical oldest, he is performing as the oldest. He's the man. But notice, this is interesting, uh, Jacob realizes he has been putting Benjamin's safety above the safety of his entire, their whole family, 70-something people. So he agrees to let Benjamin go with them to Egypt the second time to get more food and sends gifts with them. And so what we see here is, and it's really important, is God de dealing with the idolatry of Jacob. And I'm telling you, this is very convicting for parents. I'm a parent myself, I understand. On how we can elevate children to the place of God. God tells us to love our kids, to sacrifice for our kids, to put their needs before us, but never are we to put them on the throne. That is reserved for God alone. 
And Jacob, as much as he walked with God his whole life, and we know he had his ups and downs, he still needed to be dealt with. Now listen, this is an important point that hit me. We often forget this. Once we come to know Jesus as Lord and Savior, we do not become angelic beings. You know what that means? We don't become angels. I don't care if you walk with God 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40, 50, keep going. God is in the business of continually sanctifying you. Because you have a sinful nature. No matter how long you walk with him, you can fall into some grievous sin. But God won't let you get away with it. He loves you too much. That's the kind of love God has. And that's what he does for Jacob. He points out, Jacob, you got an issue. You got to let this go. And it's, it's beautiful to see the change in Jacob. So now we see <laughs> the men are brought. We're going to jump ahead. We're going to go to the, when they're returning on their second journey. We're going to jump a little bit. And we're going to look at verse 15 of 43, and we'll go from there. So the men took the gifts that Jacob had given them to send, by the way, and double the amount of silver, and Benjamin also. They hurried down to Egypt and presented themselves to Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of the house, Take these men to my house, slaughter an animal, and prepare dinner. There to eat with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and took the men to Joseph's house. Now the men were frightened when they were taken to his house. They thought we were brought here because of the silver that was put back in our sacks the first time. He wants to attack us and overpower us and seize us as slaves and take, their, take our donkeys. Stop there. You notice what they're afraid of? Huh? Huh? Loss of their own good, something else. They're afraid of becoming slaves. Isn't that interesting? It's, again, a really rich thing. They're afraid of what's going to happen to them is what they did to their brother. Do you ever notice that sometimes, guilty people? Man, they don't like it when you do it to them. But it's all right, they do it to other people. It always reminds me of, of, of Rocky Three. Sorry, Rocky III, uh, Karate Kid. That's, I'm Italian-American. I own it. But anyway, the Rocky III, you got Paulie. And remember, Rocky's going to go. He needs a big change for his training. So he goes to L.A., and they're all African-American. And he's normally with the Paisans. So you got Paulie, who's an Italian-American, and he, and he looks up at the African-Americans. He goes, I don't like these people. Why can't we go and train back, back in Philly? And Rocky goes to him, well, you ever think maybe they don't like you? And then he goes, why, what did I ever do? You're like, duh. You notice that? It's okay that you don't like them, but they don't like you. What would happen? What's wrong? And that's what we got here with the brothers. It's okay they sell somebody down the river, but notice their greatest fear. They don't want to be slaves. Verse 19, so they went up to Joseph Stewart and spoke to him at the entrance of the house. Please, sir, they said, we came here the first time to buy food, but at the place we were stopped for the night, we opened our sacks, and each of us found a silver, the exact weight in the mouth of his sack. So we brought it back with us. We have also brought additional silver with us to buy food. We don't know who put the silver in our sacks. It's all right, he said. Don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given you treasure in your sacks. I received your salve your silver. Then he brought Simeon out to them. 
The steward took the men into Joseph's house, gave them water to wash their feet, provided fodder for their donkeys. They prepared their gifts for Joseph's arrival at noon because they had heard that they were to eat there. When Joseph came home, they presented him the gifts they had brought into the house, and they bowed down before him to the ground. He asked them how they were, and then, they said, how, and then he said, How was your aged father you told me about? Is he still living? They replied, Your servant, our father, is still alive and well, and they bowed low to pay him honor. As he looked about and saw his brother Benjamin, his own mother's son, he asked, Is this your younger brother, youngest brother, the one you told me about? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Deeply moved at the sight of his brother, Joseph hurried out and looked for a place to weep. He went into, the pri into his private room and wept there. After he had washed his face, he came out and controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, the brothers by themselves, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves, because Egyptians could not eat with Hebrews, for that is detestable to Egyptians. The men had been seated before him in order, the order of their ages, from the firstborn to the youngest, and they looked at each other in astonishment. When portions were served to them from Joseph's table, Benjamin's portions, portion was five times as much as anyone else's. So they feasted and drank freely with them. Now look, I don't know about you, but I would be freaked out. If I go to a foreign land, I don't know the language, and this strange guy, I don't know who he is, he seats us in the order of our birth. Now, you know, like the hair in the back of your neck type of thing? But then you got to see something else. That, that So there's clues all this time what's going on. They're still clueless. But there's something significant that's going on here. Now, some commentators say, well, maybe he gave his brother five times as much just because he loved to see him. And like when I go to Italy, um, you know, they feed us way more than they eat. They give you this. And I'm like, how come I can't have your plate? Because I'm stuffed. They're like, no, 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 you have to eat this. So it could be that, but I don't think it's that. I think he's testing the brothers. I think he's saying, are you still jealous? What are you going to do? He's got more than you. Is it going to make you resent him? Are you going to take it out on him? But I want to show you that I think the brothers have, are beginning to change. I think they are different men. Because notice in verse 34 of chapter 43, the last verse, so they feasted and drank freely with him. In other words, they had a good time. They enjoyed one another's company. They didn't say, hey, how come he gets more? You don't get that attitude. I think we're beginning to see a change, a big change in the brothers. We're, we're definitely going to see it next chapter, a huge change. But I think it's already happening here. So chapter 44, so yeah, I told you we're getting pretty quick. Chapter 44 contains the climax of Joseph's test for his brothers. He sends them away, and then he puts his cup, the special cup, this nice big silver cup, in the mouth of Benjamin's sack, right? So that's the trick. So he hides it in that sack and sends them back like they're going to go back to their father, but then he overtakes them. He has his servants overtake them, and the servant comes and says, we'll see in a moment, and he says, stop, one of you has stolen the cup, the cup that my master uses for divination. Now remember, Joseph's putting on a farce. He's acting like he's an Egyptian, so that would make sense. And, and they're indignant. you got to love this. These are, we're honest men. They're totally indignant. Well, you know, I'll tell you what. I know none of us took your cup. You're out of your mind. I'll tell you what. We will, we will take the guilt. And, and the one who's done this, you can put him to death. And what happens? They find the cup in whose sack? 
Benjamins. And you notice what they all do? They all tear their clothes. They all like, ah! They're like, no way. Now what are we going to do? And notice they say this. It's interesting. They say, if any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. <laughs> Watch what you say, right? It's called open mouth, insert foot. But now, listen, this is it. We're getting toward the end. I told you you hung in there. Now it's the big test. It's the huge test, and here it is. Joseph gives him an opportunity of a lifetime. He says, because they say, no, 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 we'll, we'll pay for it. We'll be your servants. And Joseph goes, oh, far be it from me. I'm a god fear. I'm not going to make you all pay for it. I'm just going to keep Benjamin. The rest of you, listen, this is important. The rest of you can go free. With all the goods, all the stuff you bought, you go back to your father's household, you just got to leave Benjamin. Do you see what Joseph's doing? He's saying, in effect, are you going to do what you did those many years ago to me? You have an opportunity to save your own skin. Just leave your brother. You're just going to have to go back to your dad like you did the first time and say, sorry, dad. But hey, the rest of us are okay. But here's the interesting thing. Good old Judah. Look at me in chapter 44, I believe it is. Judah steps in and he gives a great speech, but we're going to pick it up in verse 30 for time's sake. He explains the whole thing. If I bring it back to my bring, go back to my dad without my my brother Benjamin, it'll kill him basically. It'll it'll go take his gray hair down to the grave in misery. And then he says this to Joseph again, still not knowing who Joseph is. So now, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. Your, ser your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, here it is, please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come upon my father. Cue in the angelic music. Oh! Huge change in Judah. He's no longer worried about his own skin. He's willing to take the punishment. He's willing to become a slave. And notice his deep concern for his father. Before, they didn't have that. Before, they were like, sorry, Pop. An animal got him. Not anymore. Now he's saying, take me. Judah's a new man. God's truly worked repentance and a new heart, a new attitude in him. And here we have the, a shadow of the Lord Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, who doesn't merely offer to take our place, but who actually takes our place. That's the gospel here in Genesis, is that the Lord Jesus takes our guilt, our sin, and our shame, takes the form of a slave, Philippians 2, and dies on an executioner's cross for you and for me.
It's, it, the irony, uh, irony in Judah's life is, you may not remember this, but who's the one who suggested to the brothers, hey, let's not kill them, let's sell them into slavery? That was Judah. And now Judah's saying, I'll be the slave. Take me. My professor in seminary, uh, Mark, Reverend Mark Vanderhart, puts it this way. Judah has been changed by the spirit of his even greater descendant, his son, Jesus Christ. Isn't that cool? I think that's awesome. And here's really where it gets really cool. Notice the effect on Joseph. It's the final proof to Joseph that his brothers have truly changed their ways, that they are new people in, in the Christ who would come. Instead of leaving Benjamin holding the bag and being callous about their father's guilt, Judah becomes the slave. So let's turn to uh, willing to become a slave. Look at verse 40, um, chapter 45, in the beginning. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. You know what's going on here? They're thinking, now it's hell to pay. I mean, they were like, they couldn't believe their eyes, like, this cannot be happening to us. This man who's been treating us like this, this is our brother? Oh, man. We're dead. But Joseph, excuse me, but it says this. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. <laughs> yeah, I'm on my way. Um, <laughs> and when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. He does give a little stinger in here, doesn't he? And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be, be near me. You, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have, I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Mm-mm-mm. Now, now that we got to the punchline, we see that there was not a vengeful spirit at all in Joseph, was there? There was no looking for revenge. There was no looking for payback. Joseph had one thing in mind, and that was to listen. This is so heartwarming, to bring the family back together. You know, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. You know, Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. All the king's horses and all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again. But you know what the nursery rhyme doesn't say? Doesn't mention? The king. The king's horses can't do it, but the king can. So we see God all along moving through his servant Joseph to bring God's family back together. 
and unity. But notice, and I think it's very instructive to see this, somebody had to take the hit because sin has to be paid for and there are consequences. And notice who took the hit, and we could tell from the text, willingly and joyfully, Joseph. I mean, I remember when we did it Wednesday night, and they were like, and I said, notice the forgiveness that Joseph had to have. I mean, do you realize what kind of mature faith it is to say, listen to what he says to him, you did not do this to me. Who does he acknowledge did it? God did. My brothers and sisters, this is where I, just the last couple minutes here, but this is where I got to preach. How often in our lives we blame everything else. We blame the secondary causes, as it were. And yet we have to remember we have a Father in heaven that doesn't even let one sparrow fall without his will. And so sometimes when we find ourselves in the bottom of a well, we find ourselves sold into slavery. we got to recognize it's the hand of the Lord. And he has a purpose. And he has a will. And Joseph recognized it's not about me. This whole thing that I've been going through for decades, it's never been about me. It's been about being used by God to deliver his people. And brothers and sisters, imagine if we turned everything, we see everything turned on its head in our lives, and we realize that even our suffering is to be used by God to be a blessing, a gospel blessing to the world around us. Because I want you to notice something here that's really important. Joseph went through this suffering for who? For the people that put him in the position that he's in. Does that sound familiar? I know of someone personally, by his grace, who as he was on a bloody executioner's cross, facing the death of a criminal, looked out at the audience who were before yelling, crucify him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's not hard to forgive like that. Listen to me, it's very important. It's impossible. The only way you can forgive like that is if you have the spirit of Jesus Christ in your heart right now. And when God tells us to pray, forgive us our debts, what? As we forgive our debtors. That's a prayer of faith. That's a prayer that God is going to enable me to do what I can't do in and of myself. And that is... Forgive the perpetrator, the one who put me in this place. Now, there'll be more about that in chapter 50. S.D. de Graaf, he's a Dutch commentator, says this, The members of Jacob's house had found each other through the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ, which was at work in all of them. The spirit of sacrifice, the spirit of willingness to be less than the other, first conquered Joseph. Through Joseph, it then took root in all the others as well. Fortunately, the Spirit is still at work in the world today. What we must do is seek fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ through faith in his sacrifice. That Spirit is evident in our time too. It overpowers us in such a way that we can find each other again and be truly one. One in unity. 
That is how we are the church of Jesus Christ and we fellowship intimately one another. It's because of the sacrifice of Jesus that empowers us to forgive each other, to love each other despite our differences, even when the sin is as grievous as this. That God, knowing God, he's got this. He can work all things together for the good. It's not just a trite saying that we throw at each other when we're in suffering. It's a reality. Now you can leave this place and go back into the world and you could reject the one true God revealed here in Genesis 45 or you can face the truth that the, the real God who exists is the one revealed here in Genesis and you can bow down on your face before such a holy, marvelous, wondrous God who orchestrates everything that happens, even the bad, for his glory and the good of his people. You know how much it must stink to be the devil? Because even all the destruction you think you're doing, God turns around and uses it for the good of his people. That's the eternal curse of the devil. That at his worst, he's still doing God's will. I mean, that's got to really stink. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you. And as we look at this story, I know I am a weak vessel and I didn't get across half of what you showed me these last couple weeks. But Lord, I'm so, we're so thankful this morning that you are a God who is determined on making us like your son Jesus. That you will not let us stew in sin and continue to hide our sin and neglect it and continue, in, and continue to deteriorate spiritually. But you, like a perfect surgeon, will go right for the point of the disease and you will remove it so that we will come to full spiritual health and relational health that we might truly be one in the spirit of God that we might forgive and we might love and we might be the body of healing and life the family of God that's redeemed through the sacrifice of Jesus that this world so desperately needs Lord the world needs you and so do your people and we thank you that you move all things, work all things together for our good and for your glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.